beginning at verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked Behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? Charlene and I once took our young kids to an animal shelter in North Bay to pick up or pick out a poor unwanted dog. In my mind, I was thinking inexpensive dog. (laughs) 
We came home with a dog from the shelter, Snoopy 2. Snoopy 1 had been hit by a car. (laughs) There's something about getting a dog from a shelter that makes you feel very noble, very benevolent, (laughs) very proud almost. Yeah, got my dog from the shelter. In fact, if you attach the word shelter to any word, it almost seems to make that word better. Animal shelter, bomb shelter, roadside shelter, homeless shelter. We snicker at the weathermen who go out in hurricane force winds to tell everybody to take shelter. Shelter is considered to be one of the five necessary things for life, shelter. Now our text tells us of a future day when shelter will be sought. Verse 15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Notice the emphasis in this verse 15 on the leaders of the day, the political leaders, the military leaders, the powerful people, the wealthy people, the great ones in society, the important people, the celebrities, the billionaires, and then almost as an aside, everyone else slave and free. And so all of these luminaries and these common people have gone underground. They have sought shelter, caves and caverns, and literally the word is dens in the earth, living spaces in the earth. And so why have they sought shelter amongst the rocks? Why are they deep in the mountains? Why are they underground in the caves? The text tells us they're hiding themselves. They're hiding. The word hiding literally means they're trying to make themselves invisible, that no one notices them. Outside their shelter, a great and titanic cosmic upheaval beyond comprehension in severity and breadth is taking place. The whole world, indeed, the very solar system is convulsing. And the Christ, who alone is worthy to take the scroll and open the seven seals, who alone has sovereignty and is perfectly just in all of his judgments, the one who was slain and all blessing and honor and glory and power belong to him forever and ever. He opens the seals and we found at the beginning of chapter six, the first seal, the white horse, the rider, comes forth to conquer a military imagery there and military conquest. And then in verse three and following the second seal, the red horse who takes 
peace away from the earth and bloodshed is all over the place and it's very personal. They're killing one another. The third seal, the black horse, of course, with all that is going on, the destabilization of things, the price of food goes sky high and there's rationing as a result. Food has to be proportioned out. And then there's the fourth seal in verse 7 and following where we have the pale horse, literally the yellow-green horse. It's a, a color of a corpse. And it, it's the color of someone who's dead. And its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed after him. And we read that one quarter, 25% of the earth's population at that time will die through violence and through starvation and through disease, pestilence. And so these are the horsemen of judgment. And they're riding forth. And there is wickedness and there is murder and there is death. Second Timothy says, of the last days, there will come times of great difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous and reckless, swollen with conceits, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then we find the fifth seal in verse 9. And we hear the, the voices of those who have been slain for the word of God and their witness to Jesus Christ. Fellow Christians. And they're calling out to God for justice. And they're calling out to the Lord for the final end of this age. They are martyrs for Jesus. And they are pictured as being under the altar. The altar is the place of shelter and protection, even though they're dead. The horns of the altar, of course, had the blood of the atonement. And their, pool, their blood pools at the base of this altar. It collects there. And then there's the sixth seal. The sixth seal prompts the journey of mankind underground. It's the sixth seal which causes them to hide. Houses won't do. Basements are not sufficient. Something more solid and robust as needed, more protective, more stable, they believe. Verse 12 tells us, when he opened his sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as a sackcloth and the full moon became like blood. The sun became black as sackcloth. We are taken out beyond this earth, out into the heavens. And there, the source of light for mankind, the sun's blackness, the word is taken from the black goat, the hair of a black goat that they would use to make black garments, particularly black 
um, sackcloth, which they would wear sackcloth as illustrations of mourning and grieving, fasting and repentance. It's almost a picture of the sun in the heavens, the sun itself repenting in blackness while the people won't repent before God. Now, there are many who have different opinions about what will cause this blackness of the sun. Uh, you probably have your own opinion. Uh, some say it will be because of thick clouds on the earth. Some will say it's because of volcanoes throwing up their smoke. Some will say it's because of nuclear bombs that have gone off. I myself favor cosmic origin for this blackness as the sun gathers dust and plasma and gas around itself. It blackens before the pressure is too much and a solar blast of epic proportions takes place. The moon, of course, as a reflector of light, has no light to reflect, so it's dark red. And verse 13 speaks of the massive ejection of material from the sun. I think verse 13, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. This massive ejection Verse 14, we have an unprecedented visual here. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Perhaps it has something to do with the inter interplay between plasma and protons and magnetism and the Earth's magnetic field, followed by tectonic upheaval. The plates of the Earth are releasing and turning What's high becomes low and so on. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. And so the elite of our societies, the powerful and wealthy and others, those who can remain, they take to their shelters. They take to their caves. They take to their bunkers, they take to their mountains and bolt holes and survival vaults. And there they talk to the rocks, verse 16, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the Lamb of God. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? They're hiding from the wrath of God, which is now beginning to be poured out, you see, on mankind. There's no doubt in their mind about what's happening. There's no confusion over the possibility of why this is happening. This is the Father God. This is Christ Jesus. This is their wrath. God is angry. And it's the beginning of the very end. And notice they don't call out to God. They don't speak to God. They speak to the rocks. And the rocks can't even give them refuge. The rocks cannot make them invisible to God. 
The rocks can't even stand still. They're all moving. It's interesting to notice over the past number of years how many movies have been appearing with solar flares causing disaster upon the earth. Movies like Knowing or cosmic events bringing destruction upon the planet. A recent one is Greenland where the whole story is the rush of the people and the population to get underground. There's one coming out in November called Finch, where a solar flare destroys all the civilizations of man. And it leaves this one man underground in a bunker for 10 years with his dog. And he finally sets out for the mountains. And this is what he says, he says, we won't be safe unless we get to the mountains. There are people there hiding in the shadows. You know, over the last years, there has been article after article about the world's richest people preparing their bunkers, finding their bolt holes and purchasing their islands or their mountains, busy hollowing them out and installing underground. Two months ago, um, Kim, Kim Kardashian was in the news. I happened to notice it because of the bunkers. She was in the news because she was researching survival bunkers. And, and this week she made the People magazine because her neighbors are upset with her plans to dig under her complex and install some vault deep down there. So she made the news because they're upset with her digging. Isaiah, the prophet of God, says this, enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord. And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord. The prophet Hosea says, they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. And it will all be for naught, all of their preparation, because what is coming is God's wrath. And they can't be invisible to God. No matter how deep they go, they will not go unnoticed by God. No matter how much they prepare, they, they're still going to cry to the rocks to fall on them because he sees. They'll cry to the rocks to cover them because he knows exactly where they are. Jeremiah the prophet says this, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? It's rhetorical, it means no he can't. No one can hide from God. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? declares the Lord. 
and his wrath will find them in their hiding places. And their hiding place is not their refuge, it's their tomb. It's their tomb. And their rhetorical question, who can stand in verse 17? Who can stand is answered in chapter 7 while we take this pause before the next seal in chapter 8, the final seal. Who can stand is the people of God can stand is the answer to that. They think no one can stand, but the people of God can. And he'll go on and talk about the 144,000, the 12 times 12 times 1,000, all the 12 tribes of Israel symbolically meant Israel, and all the, the 12 apostles symbolically meant the church. And here, the symbol on this number is the number of totality, the number of the fullness of the number of the people of God. Who can stand is the ones with the seal of God on their forehead, not the mark of Antichrist. We'll look at that in a few weeks. Who can stand? Those who are God's in Christ Jesus can stand because they've repented of their sin. They've cried out to God for forgiveness. They put their faith in the sacrifice of Christ and his death and his resurrection. The ones who can stand are those who live as Christians in this age. And so the scripture says, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, he is our refuge and our shelter. Now let us remember, people of God, that he will hide us in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal us under the cover of his tents. We are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. We are part of his great story that spans time from creation, the fall, the savior, and the very end of all things. We are part of this story and he is our shelter. And though we may be called to suffer many things and we may be called to endure many arrows, and even though our blood be spilt as a martyr perhaps, and gather with the blood of so many others underneath the altar of God, waiting there for justice. We know we will be resurrected. We will be safe eternally, and we will dwell in the shelter of the Most High and live underneath his shadow. And the image we are given in scripture is the image of a little bird in the nest drawing close to its mother's breast. So we take refuge under the shelter of his wing. King David said this. He said, the Lord is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress and my deliverer. My God and my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. In the Lord, I take refuge, he said. There is something, there's something in the air we breathe. 
There is something in, in creation. There's something that is seeping into our senses. I sense that things are moving quickly. Man is strong in his youth. Spryden says, man is strong in his youth. But as he grows and time passes, there begin to be signs of the coming of his end. So to the world, the world was young once, but it's growing old. And the signs of its end are becoming more clear. And Jesus warns us to be watchful, to be careful, to be faithful, and to see the signs of his coming. And we must live in faith and obedience. We, not, we must not hope in the mountains or the caves, not in basements or bunkers, not in chariots or horses or men. Our only hope is in God, his salvation and the eternal life he offers and gives to us in Jesus Christ for all who come repenting and believing, asking from him. It is better, the scripture says, to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in men. We must not love the world or the things of this world. You know, to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God, the scripture says. We are warned by Christ not to love the world and the world does not love us. We were chosen out of the world to not be of the world. This world is passing away. And when we love something that is taken from us, we sorrow and we grieve. If we love the things of the world, when it passes away, we will sorrow, we will grieve, we will be scandalized and horrified. If we are immersed in this world and its cares and its riches and its pleasures, we will grieve the loss of this world. And we will faint with fear and foreboding over what's coming. So it will be for all those who love this world instead of God. They will seek to preserve it. They will seek to survive it. They will seek to hide from him. But what they are preparing is their very tombs. Who can stand? Only those who have repented and believed on the Lord Jesus. Only those who love him and follow him and obey him and draw closer to him. Let them prepare their bunkers and their caves let us prepare day by day spiritually to be faithful, to be pure, be virtuous and willing to sacrifice for other people, even to die for the sake of the name, the name of Christ.
C.S. Lewis said, if we desire, if we have a, a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let us not grieve this world's passing. Let us not fear. Let us not trust in the things of this world, no. He tells us to look up, to look up, to raise our heads, he tells us. These terrors that are coming in his wrath are, are signs of his victory over sin and death. He's the victorious Christ. They're signs of his sovereignty and his justice and that the groom is coming for his bride. Look, we're told, and see the day approaches. Look up, our redemption draws ever closer. The one we love, who first loved us, is coming. And so let us make ourselves ready, faithful ones. Perhaps you've fallen back into sin. Get up, get up again. Hope in his mercy and his grace. Let us love, let us forgive, let us learn, let us worship him. Let us lay aside the passions of the flesh, anger and hatred, selfishness, laziness. Let, her, let us make ourselves ready. And let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your son has overcome death. He is the victor. He is our Lord and Savior. And in him we hope, in him we live and move and have our being. Oh, Father, as we prepare spiritually, we ask that you would keep us mindful of where we're weak, where we fall. Even some here this morning, give them tender hearts. Give them grief over their own sin. Help them to get up asking for forgiveness and to struggle once again with perhaps what they have stopped struggling over. Forgive us our sins. We turn to you, God. Some here need to return to you, need to come home to Jesus. Need to come home to the Father. We know you will receive. You will not cast him away. You will not send her away. We find shelter in you, Father, as chapter seven tells us, that he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And so give us wisdom, fervency, and sound minds in these troubled days as we wait and prepare 
to the coming of our Savior. Help us to endure. Help us to endure even suffering, even death, to make up our mind now that we might not um, waver should that moment come. We trust you with all things, and we know we will be with you forever. We take shelter under your wing, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.